0: of okay. show you the book front of the therefore, there was a larger explanation. Verse 12, therefore all things whatsoever ye would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. All things whatsoever ye would, that men should do to you, do ye also, do ye even so to them. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you for the powerful truths. We have already heard this morning. We have been reminded, Lord, Father God, that you are above all things. You are a great God. You are a mighty God. And Father, then working in chorus, with our special music this evening, we heard that, Father God, you will never leave us nor forsake us. It is mind-boggling that so great and wonderful a God that is above all things should care to even have our comfort. Father, this morning we thank you for that powerful truth. Father, so ably illustrated in all of the rich provision, Father, I mean they anyway. Those folks that we have been praying for for some time. Some have gone home. Some are helping with us once more. Father, what a testimony to your constant care and goodness. Dad. We know, Lord God, that in your greatness, in the fact that you are above all, Father, you are also and only good. So, Father, with your goodness, I know in our ears, to my lips that I may speak. Father, there are many things on my mind this morning, but Father, only one is worthy enough to follow me into the pulpit. Father God, that is the richness of Your Word. Help me to display that part, lest I get it wrong. Help each ear to be unblocked, unfettered, uninhibited in hearing. But then, Father, free also our hands that we might obey. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Have you ever discovered a blemish in a person? And then over time, or with explanation, or maybe somebody else informed you, that the individual had a perfectly understandable reason for that blemish maybe in their spirituality, we do, after all, live in an imperfect world. Do we not? We do. You might look at somebody who's overweight and presume they eat too much. You might walk by somebody and smell the hint of smoke and think, well, they must be smoking. Perhaps they're late to church. And it's easy to be tempted to believe that the church wasn't a big deal for them. They could go on and on. Have you ever looked at somebody, though, and judged by your own senses, whether or not their spirituality was as strong as it should be? There's a part of the golden rule that gets neglected. And that is the fact that the golden rule started with one very simple but hard to break practice. And that is looking at others and pre-deciding their motives, their heart, their intent, their desire. The golden rule is born out of Jesus' mandate. Carry and treat everybody with the same level of care that you would expect to receive yourself. We're going to explain that this morning. We're going to look a little bit closer. The golden rule is not simply a verse. It's an entire conversation. The golden rule actually comes from a larger context. And most people completely ignore it if... They know it's there at all. Now let's go a little bit, a little bit through review. We've been talking for a number of weeks now on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been investigating the Sermon on the Mount. We've been learning that Matthew now he's been going through chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. He's arguing that Jesus's life and teachings prove that he is in fact along the long awaited Messiah. And the Sermon on the Mount is one example of Jesus' teaching, demonstrating his messianic authority. In Matthew 5, we saw him bringing reform to the religious practices that were being peddled and pushed upon the Jewish people by the Pharisees, who were unwilling to admit it, who were breaking the laws that that they claimed to stand for from the very beginning. Then in chapter 6, we noticed how the genuine kingdom citizen relates to God in a very specific way. He follows specific motives that are concerned only with the approval of the king alone. This individual has a very special loyalty to God, and it is exemplified in everything that he does. Now in chapter 7, Matthew is demonstrating how the heavenly citizen will relate to those around him. We saw that summarized for us a little bit in the beginning of chapter 5, but now he's going to give us a little bit more time and energy before he he comes into his third section in verse 13, and then he closes out the sermon. But have you noticed so far, there actually is a cohesive whole throughout the entire discussion. This has not been a haphazard list of items that Matthew just thought, okay, there was a time that Jesus said this, let's put it with this, and let's put it with that. He's taking us through this principle that we are to be perfect as our Father, which in heaven is perfect. Think about that. And especially in context with our judge not yet, lest you be judged, and do unto others as you would have them to do, because that's how God the Father treats our fellow man. Now the nice thing is, is judgment for God is... Rather easy because he is omniscient. He is infinite in his knowledge. There is no knowledge that could be known that he does not know. So he's definitely got an advantage on us there. But you'll realize as you study out his attributes, God is never unfair. He is never malicious. He is never partial. He is never biased. He is never prejudiced. He is never racist. God is none of those things. He treats all men fairly and with equal justice. And that's why every mouth will be stopped. Every mouth will be closed on Judgment Day because all the living and dead will realize, I don't have a leg to stand on in the face of the Almighty. Now, Jesus is actually demonstrating in our text here. He's demonstrating the fact that this new righteousness is going to influence our human relationships. He's charging his audience to treat other people in the same way that they would expect to be treated. That's part of the problem with our interpersonal relationships and the strife and the disputes that occur between us is because people will treat us in a way that we did not expect them to treat us. We have very high standards for those who are to interact with us, do we not? Uh, now, I know, in reality, we'll say, well, no, I, I know I shouldn't, I don't want to, but the first time you're tired or angry or somebody just catches you the wrong way and they say the wrong thing to you and you just get all upset, you get your uh, your knickers in a wand all twisted up and you're angry and you... Now, when you really think about it, I don't think they meant that. I don't think they meant that the way that I'm taking it. I certainly should know them well enough to know the spirit with which they act and treat other people. Now let's go through our outline just a little bit. We've been looking at, we saw first, an idyllic people operating by an idyllic principle. And we saw underneath of that, we're in our second section here, the fact that Jesus is finishing this ancient principle that was started in the Old Testament. And of course he followed it up with some examples of this new righteousness and how it operates. And he was talking in uh, chapter 5 there, chapter 5 and 6 of this special loyalty to God's law, of God's loyalty in their devotional life, uh, special loyalty to God's values. And then that, what that did is that prompted them to, of course, treat everything with uh, the proper motive and the proper love. They were not overly concerned about special personal possessions. They were not overly concerned with physical needs. Uh, their physical needs, and of course, we looked at this a week ago in relation to physical needs. Uh, he said that to be concerned about things such as food and clothing and the matters of tomorrow. And he says, well, that requires an effort. That is that goes way beyond your ability. Only God can do that. It works contrary to the kingdom because, first of all, it doubted God's foreknowledge and it neglected the right wiseness of the kingdom. And then, thirdly, underneath of there, he said, by doing that, what you are doing, by being concerned with physical needs, you are carrying tomorrow's burdens today. And they will, they will, they will crush you. Now, Jesus is explaining how that heavenly principle... Sorry, let me get caught up here. Oh, that heavenly principle. Here we go at the bottom. uh, Affects our relationship with our neighbors. How it affects our relationship with our neighbors. And I'm taking that word neighbors from verse 12. Because notice at the end there. uh, In verse 12 he says, For this is the law and the prophets. This is the Law and the Prophets. Remember, what is the sum of all the Law? How do we sum it up? Uh, Jesus summed it up this way. As he was talking with the young man, the young man asked him, which is the great commandment of the Law? Jesus said unto him, the first one is, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the first, this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law. That's Moses. That's everything Moses wrote. The Pentateuch And the prophets. That's everything else in the Old Testament uh, after Moses. He says that is the sum and the substance of the law in the prophets. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And love your neighbor, notice there, like yourself. We love the golden rule, don't we? It's funny because then you look at the royal law, love our neighbor as ourselves, that's a little tougher. And then when you come to our text, you're like, well, that means I also must not judge. Okay? Now, I stopped there only to make you think. Is that what it says? Judge not that ye be not judged. Okay, and he's actually going to say in verse 5, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou seek be cast out the mould out of the brother's eye. He doesn't say we never judge. We'll talk about that in a moment. But this person, this heavenly individual, is careful. He exhibits a special care while assessing blame and consequence. Blame and consequence. The blame and consequence that is due to other people. Now, we do need to be careful because to judge someone, to judge them early, to judge them unfairly, uh, to presuppose their their, their motives, their emotions, is to, in fact, violate one of the rules of love which covers a multitude of sins. We are reminded of that. We know that. Now, when you look at our text, though, we'll see and we'll understand that he's talking here about producing an opinion of whether somebody is doing right or wrong. It is to pronounce a judgment upon them, to subject them to a censure. A judgment here in verse 2 is to decree or to condemn something that they do as wrong. To look upon their actions and to predecide decide without knowing any information, that this Is in fact wrong by my standard. This decision, then, he says, you will be judged. This same judgment with which you judge other people will be the same rule used to judge you. Look at verse 2 with what measure? This is an instrument of measurement. This is some. Some uh, measurement, uh, uh, some distance of measurement, some length of some kind, metron, okay? He says, we meet, okay? Give by measure, it sounds like uh, our word yeah, it sounds like our word for meter. The same way that you measure out, the same kind of judgment that you measure out to other people will be also measured out to you. Now is that a little frightening to you? I know what this to me. I'm kind of a violent look kind of guy. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how everybody needs to do it. And this is the only right way to do it. it makes me less patient with people sometimes they have that, they have that feeling, they have that sentiment. And he says there, and so you'll notice uh, as we carry on to our text here, notice there, underneath of it, because they know this is why the heavenly citizen, this is why the heavenly citizen is careful to lay blame and to judge consequences, because they know that they set the standard by which they will also be judged. Now, here's the funny thing. Here's the, and it's it's not so much funny as it is sad, but it's curious that so many people are trying to absolve themselves and their behavior by this text. But the only time I ever hear anybody quote this text is when they're trying to qualify that somebody else is not deserving to judge them. Hey, Jesus said, judge not. And you're sounding a little judgy to me. It's right, the only time this seems to ever come up. Now, when you look at this, you realize, I mean, they're trying to justify themselves. They're trying to prevent others from questioning the lifestyle choices. And that isn't the context. Because Jesus is now preventing judgment. He's calling in the heavenly-minded to judge others by the same rule that they would like to be judged themselves. We have to be, we are required to be, fruit inspectors, fruit qualifiers, are we not? Are we not required to try the spirits? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, this is that Spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world." They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world. And of course the world heareth them. We, however, are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. There's that qualifying again, that judging. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This text does not mean, should not be used to mean that you have no right to look at my life and to determine whether or not it is or is not wrong. Jesus simply says that, number one, you need to to think about the standard that you're setting for that individual, for that person. Okay, and then in verses uh, uh, 3 and 4 and 5, he talks about the fact of your ability to do that. Okay, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 5, he encourages us to remove the speck only after removing our own being. And in verse 15 and 16 of the same chapter, of our same text, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their what? <laughs> their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? No. They certainly. Do not. Another pastor, and this is not an endorsement, okay? But I think he nailed it. I think he got it right on the head. David Guzik said this: The Christian is called to show unconditional love, but the Christian is not called to unconditional approval. Let me read that again. The Christian is called to show unconditional love, but the Christian is not called to unconditional approval. Listen, and here's the other issue with this. Number two, because they're careful with blame and consequence, because they know their own faults will be measured with the same precision, the same precision that they use for other people. Remember that verse two there? Measured and meet. Okay, measured and meet. It will be measured to you. It will be needed out to you. If you choose to be judged by the strictest, if you choose to judge by the strictest code uh, code of justice, then you should expect the same in return. If you never give mercy, then don't cry for mercy when it's your turn. If you never give grace, don't complain of gracelessness when it's your turn. However, if you choose to be generous with mercy towards those who are guilty then you will receive the same in return. It really puts the faults of others in perspective doesn't it? And it really causes you caution thoughtfulness regarding the next time somebody wrongs you harms you mistreats you because you know what? God is watching up in heaven in the same way that I treat this person. And don't we all need a little forgiveness from time to time? Who unless here is perfect? I know I'm not. I'm just raising my hand as an illustration of what to do if you are. I'm not. You're not either. At some point, you or I, were are going to need forgiveness. Now, he's going to say, don't let the pain tremble and swing the whole other way. Okay, but then in verse 3 and 5, notice also, Not only do they know that they set the standard by which they will be judged, not only do they know that their own faults will be measured with the same precision they use for others, but thirdly there, that by an illustration, Jesus shows that they know they cannot help others when they are hindered by their own faults. They know that they cannot help others when they know, when they realize that they have their own faults. Now, this actually kind of illustrates the fact that Jesus did, in fact, have a sense of humor. But his point is this. That we tend to be more patient with our own faults than we are of the faults of others. Let me illustrate. I have here in my pocket a moat. And the moat is so small, I'm having trouble getting it out. But here it is. This is a moat. It's a small piece. Now, it's actually smaller, but then you wouldn't see it. But it could mean, that the word there, the Greek word, it could mean twig. A small piece of straw. Just a small, insignificant bottle. And when you look at a person, people will from time to time have a moat in their eye. What Jesus does is he discourages you from helping people with that moat, when you have something like this in your eye, do you get it? <laughs> this is actually a piece of a bean that has been cut out, a nice big chunk of oak, uh, very strong. But you could imagine, in, in, in the silly way that Jesus means, could you imagine a person having something like this in their eye? trying to help somebody find this nuisance in their world. And Jesus says, you can't. There's, you have no ability to help somebody else when you have a fault so large. And so what he does then is he tells them, he encourages them to get rid of that being so you can help the person with the moment. He says, remove that influence. He, 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 he doesn't even, it's curious, he doesn't even condemn them. He tells them, get rid of it. Don't be a hypocrite. Telling people how to fix their problems when you have something so large. Bobby, you And what makes me sad, too, is many people that have had a beam at some point or another, then, having dealt with the beam, will continue to believe the being disqualifies. very simple answer for that. Somebody comes and asks you, maybe it's a, a beam re- related to your marriage. Maybe it's a beam related to an addiction. Maybe it's a beam, you know, you can tell people, it's perfectly valid to tell people, let me tell you what didn't work. Here was the problem I had. Yeah, it could be painful, it will take some honesty. You don't have to be specific, but you could say, I want to help. And you know what? That was a beam for me. That was a big problem. Think about that. Can you see through something like this? When well, this is in your eye, how good is your vision? Okay, it's like deer hunting with a blindfold on. Right? How does that work for you? Is that a good idea? Yeah. Just, <laughs> ask Kevin he said. You hear the sound and you shoot. You hear the sound and you shoot. Alright? You're not going to get anything. You're not going to get it. You can't see through this. Now this we can see around. It's obstructive, yes. And Jesus is here saying, listen, before you start going out and judging other people, before you start telling them what their problems are, he says, make sure you've got your problems taken care of. Now this is what I love about God. He says that we would examine ourselves and will even not be judged. You realize who is supposed to be the first judge of us? Ourselves. If we took care of our own problems, God wouldn't have to. And furthermore, you and I, we have no responsibility to look at other people their faults and to say, well, you are disqualified. Unless it is something specifically, as we said, specifically mentioned in the Bible, doctrinal, in scope, or uh, behavior, some kind of correctable, uh, correctable um, uh, behavior. Pastor Dan's going through. Uh, um, I believe Jude. Right, you're going to hit Jude, aren't you? As well, at some point, yeah. Jude actually gives specific behaviors. This is how false teachers act. Okay, those things are clear. But when it comes to the fellowship of the believers, the fellowship of the unashamed, he says here, make sure that you understand before you go and start instructing people telling people how they should or should not please God. Make sure that your vision is not obstructed by something. Sin, a fault, a failure, something of the kind. Now, that would kind of, you know, to the person who's not being careful, they might look at this text and say, okay, so you just have to hands off with everybody and anything goes, right? Well, no. Jesus comes to another point. Again, remember our book ends. we're talking about the treatment of others. We're talking about the treatment of others. Verse 1 with verse 12. Right now, we're in the middle of the peanut butter and the jelly. Okay? We're right in the middle of it. And now what he does is he brings to mind, he brings to our to our um, uh, intellect, our understanding. Verse six: Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and run with you. This is a hard passage. It's hard, especially. If this is one of those passages that has convinced people that this is just an arbitrary list of sayings of Jesus compiled into one sermon. No. No, I showed you the book in it. What's happening here is, is Jesus is talking about an inhospitable audience. He's advocating for prudence and discernment while helping others spiritually. You and I are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Teaching, baptizing, making disciples. And now what he's saying here is he just spoke on the proper attitude towards the faults of others. And he's, he's headed towards the golden rule to sum it all up, as it's famously called. But he's still talking about our treatment of others. Jesus is saying, don't let the pendulum swing the other way. Don't be judgmental. But don't be indiscriminate in return. Be careful. Dogs, swine, what in earth is that? Now his audience would have known exactly what that meant. They knew exactly what that meant. Of course, the dog, it was a hound. Um, this could mean a person of impure mind. He's saying, don't throw your holy things, your sacred, pure things, to the dogs. They despised dogs. They hated dogs. How many of you have a pet dogs? They would not understand why you keep a dog in your house. They would not understand why you let a dog sleep with you or eat it for that match. But everybody knows you have a little bit of extra, you throw it to a dog and you watch them. They jump at it. They, they, they have no dignity, they have no decorum, they only know survival, and so of course they're willing to jump at it and jump out there. And they're going to decimate whatever it is that they're chewing on, whatever they're eating, whatever that you've thrown to them. Then he says, do not cast your pearls before swine. Pearls, it's funny, this word, If you know a person named Margaret? That's the Greek form for this name. Uh, it, it could mean a pearl, it could also mean a proverb. A word of great value. Don't throw it in front of swine. Uh, swine pigs. Uh, whereas the dog could mean the heathen, the Gentiles. Or those who were naive to gospel truth. Okay, they don't know. This is not V, this is not find out. Dogs were opportunists, they were scavengers. They eat garbage. Swine are different in the respect that they are happy in their defilement. And so the Jews actually refer to heretics this way. It refers to the heretic who were swine. So the dog, okay, is those who are naive to gospel truth. They're committed to it. And also the swine who are happy in their defilement. And Jesus is saying here, do not subject the gospel, our holy things, our precious things, gospel truths, to people of bad disposition, to people who are doctrinally stubborn, to those who are resolute in their unbelief, those who are determined not to receive it. The key here is reverence for the word of God and discretion. Discretion for those who may mistreat it. There are seasons and times when Jesus encouraged his disciples to press on. Look at me on Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I mean press on when they received uh, resistance. When they receive resistance, Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go and to preach and in verse 14, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart of that, out of that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Keep going. In Acts chapter 17, Paul even had a few converts. In Athens, what did he do? He left. He left. Acts chapter 19, verse 9, same thing. They left. They did not beat themselves up and decimate the gospel upon those people who were willing only to abuse it. This requires a carefulness. This requires a carefulness. This was, the, this was the disciples' practice. You keep moving on. You did not stick around and continue to offend people. We need to be very careful here. Okay, we need to be very careful because our message is supposed to be offensive. Not we ourselves. I've talked to you. I, I've done a lot of knocking on doors. And I still cringe at some of the things I said to those people. Cringe at some of the things the people that I was with said to those people. There were people I didn't want to go door to the door anymore. Not at all. We are not allowed to just stick around and let the gospel be demeaned by us, by we, by ourselves. Because the key is, we do not want the ministry to be blamed. Some Christians seem quite content. It's so awkward, no touch. That to them, that is proof positive that they are doing God's work. But people walk away from us mad. It had better be because they are mad at God's word and not our own social ineptitude. We are obligated to have some understanding regarding whom to whom we are presenting the holy things of scripture and present the precious promises of God's word. Thirdly, the kingdom of citizens is given also special care. Treat others with the same responsive generosity that God gives to our prayers. Look at verse seven. There, actually, go back. I'm still in chapter ten. Verse seven: asketh, shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be open. That's true, right? All right. That's the nature of prayer. That's where we are. When we pray to God, we pray expecting God to work, to act, to move. But notice His focus in verse 9. For what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Remember, the ancient principle here, verse 48 of chapter 5, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The ancient principle is to live like the Father, to be like the Father. And when you pray, do you not expect God to work? He's charging us and telling us. It's funny how often we treat these verses kind of selfishly. And to treat them rather selfishly. Verses 7-12 through 12 are not so much meant to prove how God treats us as it is demonstrating the fact that God's treatment of us should prompt us to treat other people in a specific way. In a way that is indicative of the Father. We are to present that same response and generosity. The kingdom citizen, in verse 7-8, and 8, Persist in prayer. Knowing they will not be frustrated. He says there, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. All right, the asking means that we desire what we need, the seeking means that we follow hard after it. We want it, we pursue it. The knocking means that something is in the way, but we know that when we knock, God is able to open. And clearly, if we're knocking, we're talking about a door. And it is possible for it to be opened. And clearly, then God will reward that person that persists in the asking, seeking, and knocking. So what that does is it brings our kingdom citizens to the next step. They persist in prayer knowing that they will get exactly what they need. We know that. Jesus is again. He's using an illustration in verse nine. What they, uh, for, for? What man is there of you whom, if his son has bread, will he give him a stone? This is a lithos, small. This is not a petros, large. Oh, here's a rock. Don't you feel? What are do you doing this? Furthermore, if I eat it, I'm going to break a tooth. What good could this do to me? And you know what, and, and, I mean, this, this, is, this is hard. This is because we, many times, if we're not careful, we give people empty platitudes. He says, don't just give them this cliche. Just send them on their way. Because you know that's not how God treats you. He provides for you. And so what he does then is, in verse 12, he comes to the end of his discussion and relates to us and in the, in the fact that the Kingdom citizen persists in meeting the needs of those desiring spiritual help. Just what we ask, seek not, and we are confident God will provide. We then also do as much as is in our ability. Or up, if you ask a fish. Bread and fish, those were the staples of their diet back then. Well, they give him a serpent. A serpent is worse than a stone. A stone, if you hate it, it break your tooth or at best it did not. A serpent has the ability to harm. To harm the individual it was given to. He says, now, if you then being evil, okay, of bad nature, even bad natured people know how to give gifts to their kids. Even the wicked, fired, dictators, they still know what to give their children, don't they? He says, If the wicked know how to give good gifts unto the children, how much more shall your father, who's good, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the promise. One ancient commentator wrote this. The golden rule should be remembered in the infliction of punishment. Judgment he judge, he shall judge. You have an opportunity, an ability, a responsibility to correct parents, public servants, employers, when you are meeting out justice. The whole law thrown at him. Or the issue here is for you and I. From the first principle. that we need to be very careful not to be critical of others. And then be surprised that others are critical of us as well. Now listen, hey, just pages of ideas for application your mind takes you somewhere related to this verse, That could be the Holy Spirit. There's a lot we can say here. But I'll tell you this, when we say judge not, that means that we must not judge. The motives of others without evidence don't look at somebody and say, well, this must be the problem. They dress this way, they talk this way, they act this way. If that is your attitude towards other people, then don't be surprised when that same attitude (coughs) finds you. Judge not means that we should not share someone's faults with a third party. Judge not means that we should not be quick to remember only the worst about a person and the choices. Let's not be hasty with our judicial efforts towards others. Judge not means that we must not be slow to believe better them. Here is your scriptural evidence for those of you that, well, I like to believe better about somebody first. Treat them as innocent until proven guilty. Judge not means that we must not fail to consider our own vulnerabilities in their situation. Remember, there is no temptation taken. Even as such as is common to man.
1: That means when a person
0: is tempted and overtaken in a fault, guess what? You're made of the same material. That same problem can follow you both. Of course, what does he say? How are we to react With the spirit of That contemplative lest we also be tempted, I am finally ministry over to death, and I have met and encountered some people who are very harsh, critical, almost mean spirit. as they grew older that was the spirit It also means that if we aren't careful, that beam that is in our eye, as we if we don't take care of that situation, there's a very real risk of injuring that person. With. If this is in our spiritual eye, this is our spiritual outlook, this being, and I come at them with a surgeon's scalpel, that's not going to work. Because first of all, I can't see. those who are prepared to hear God's word and be willing to consider its truth. We cannot, we do not, we must not force the word of God in an unwilling audience. Many emperors and dictators and kings and everything else have tried to force Christianity on people. How's the old saying go? Oh, man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. I wonder how much hatred and vitriol there is towards Christianity because Christians come at people with the same mean-spirited judgmentalness. Not careful to remember that one day not so long ago they too were skeptics with questions. You've been saved a long time. There's a real detriment here to you, and that is, that you may have forgotten how hard-won the gospel was in your own heart, And it will produce in you an impatience for the believing of the person that you are talking to. The best thing you can do when you're souling, you're talking to somebody is keep those doors open. I've told you many times, about that man that came at us with a shovel. Because the guy I was with wouldn't take no for an answer. I guarantee you that man hated the church ever after. Maybe we'll put a sticker on no we'll solicitor. We realize we're not soliciting, but as far as the world is concerned, we are. We need to be careful with the gospel, folks. We need to be, you know, the other thing is, is we must not pretend to be persecuted when people can't stand how we treat them. I mean, and, and there's lots of, I do not go on that there, but uh, there's a lot, this is, this is a big problem in Christianity, in American Christianity. Um, one of the areas I see this a lot, of, and, and I'm coming from an arena where this was a minor, we, we looked up to this, these street screamers, I call them, street preachers. This is why those guys tend to be very isolated socially in every kind of respect. Obviously, Jesus of Paul preached in the market. So was everybody else. That was the cultural practice of their day. Bible-notch collectors. Man, I gave 27 tracks out today. How many of them were willing? Two? I've told you about the man I led to the Lord just so he could get me off his doorstep. But that's all he wanted. He went back to his TV. When you sense in somebody else a resistance to the gospel, the best thing you could do is say, Can I pray for you? Good This visit you That's our personal space. People are becoming less willing to let you into their personal space. Oh, you have to go, me? Forget about Say, I'd like to meet you at coffee. Can I take you to lunch? Let's take a break together. Be very careful. There is a boasting in Christianity that is unholy, no matter the guise under which it is performed. A third principle. Let us also realize the responsibility. We have the others so symbolized in our requests for God's generosity. The usage that we expect from God, the same measure, the same measure we should deal out to others. Bless us, fellow men, help benefit one another. We each benefit expect from God we should be willing to also bestow on our fellow man. To the extent of our will. And maybe we can't do much. But you can tell them, listen, I'm going to pray. I might even fast. And that's a big need. And friend, I would be happy to help spiritually. How can I a it? How can I reach you? Can we pray together? friend as much as we expect from God let us also give to those who come to us desiring the answers to spiritually. Unsaved friend, my friend today, the message here to you listen, there is a judgment that is coming and as much as, let's say I have a beam in my eye and I don't prevent it from judging you, listen, there is one who has never had a beam in his eye, his name is Jesus Christ Amen. He's never sinned. He's never been proud of most of And you know what? That man is so deserving of your trust, your love, because he put his body on the cross for you. But do you know Do you have a relationship with him? Why go to church? That's not a relationship. Again, that's not a relationship. I have 25 little ladies across the street. That's not a relationship, except for a bunch of little ladies. Do you have a relationship with the Savior that provides for you a confidence in knowing where you'll spend eternity? One thing i stopped saying. I used it for the longest time. It's not what I was taught. He asked him, if you were really to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? I got to the door and hey, bang, I hit this lady hard. Do you know where you're gonna spend eternity? She says, No, I'm struggling with it because my husband died two days ago. I couldn't slink out of there fast enough. You wanna know what to say or Hallelujah? Come tonight. Name is preaching. No, it's fair. You're going to ask them, listen, what do you think about that is Is there a world after this one? What do you think? Show some interest in that. I'll be more interested in your rest. But dear friend, until you have a personal walk with the Lord Savior Jesus Christ, you stand in jeopardy of a just judgment. That judgment in hell. Do you stand up me for words? Lord God, we thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you for the truth. Nothing but the truth. Father, we thank you for the care and honesty of Jesus' message here. We know that he's the perfect Son of God. Each one of these words is poignant, is powerful, and Father, even sharp, right where we need it. Lord, help. There's a lot to think about tonight. And Lord, I heard my guilt all over this message this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you'd help Christians challenge them this morning to think on this text and to realize that the golden rule goes a lot farther than being nice and civil people. It demands something, even from our us. Maybe there's one in here that is yet with sin. They have that beam in there. I'm going to see and realize that, Father, they are meant to help others with the mold. But, Lord, they can't until they've removed that beam. Father, help us to be careful to realize and know Are mindful of taking their truth where it will produce the most of it. Father, help us in our prayers to remember that as much as we ask of you, let us also then be willing to do within our ability to do for others. We pray in Jesus' name. Turn to be in your hymn book, number 77 God sees the heart. Number 77, God sees the heart. Maybe there's a need. Maybe there's a beam in your eye. Maybe you've been judgmental. Hasty. Hasty. Give up a vote of discomfort in the person. Maybe there's somebody even that you need to go to and say, would you forgive me? And friend, maybe there's a loneliness to pray and ask God to move. But you have not responded to the needs of others in the same way. or maybe you're interested in baptism or becoming a member or you just want someone to pray with you this is that time this is that you have a need to come please number 77